Reading according to the gospel. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard. I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five, five o'clock came, each of them received the, the usual daily rage. Now, when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be the first, and the first will be the last. The word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In godly play, Whenever we tell the story of the people of God in the desert, this is how we begin. The desert is a dangerous place. It is always moving, so it is hard to know where you are. There is little water, so you get thirsty and you can die if no water is found. Almost nothing grows there, so there is almost nothing to eat. In the daytime, it is hot and the sun scorches your skin. In the nighttime, it is very cold. When the wind blows, the sand stings when it hurts you. The desert is a dangerous place. People do not go into the desert unless they have to. The people of God had to go into the desert. It was the only way to freedom. After they crossed the Red Sea, God showed them where to go by giving them a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God fed them by providing manna by day and quail by night. God gave them water to drink in a place where good water was hard to find. And God delivered them time and time again from their enemies. Finally, after 40 years of providing for the Israelites, God finally brings them out of the wilderness and into the promised land. 
However, the people of God are not the grateful recipients of these miracles that you would expect. Against the constant threat of survival, the people of God are bitter, quarrelsome, and full of doubt. They say to Moses, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. The desert with its ever present dangers and unpredictability has made the Israelites fearful of their circumstances and nostalgic for the time when they were in captivity. Their frightening present made them view their terrible past through rose-colored glasses, because at least then they had a reliable food source and knew what to expect. Moses is annoyed with the Israelites and warns them they are not complaining against him, but God. The Israelites pay no heed to his warning and continue to complain. So Moses takes their message to God, and this is how God responds. Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. Then the next morning when they wake up, they are amazed by the sight of manna. For many of us, this is what unconditional love looks like. God doesn't judge or tell the Israelites to be thankful for what they have or for what God has done for them. God listens. God validates their experience of suffering, and God invites them to draw near, to seek comfort from their Lord. Then God provides, and not only does God provide, God provides abundantly. Moreover, God doesn't ask for anything in return. God does not make Israel work for their food, but out of an abundance of love and concern for them, God provides. Then we skip forward 40 years and the people of God make it to the land of milk and honey. At least, this is how we tell the story in Godly Play, and this is probably how many of us here remember the story of manna. We probably all know the Exodus version of this story very well. But many of us forget that another version of the story is also told, and it's told in the book of Numbers. In Numbers, God is not the insufferably patient and loving provider, but a fed-up parent, a parent who is frustrated with their children because nothing they do seems to be enough for their children. Moses, the adopted Israel, is also frustrated by Israel's insatiable hunger. Not only do they complain that the manna is unappetizing, they also complain that they do not have meat to eat. Moses says to God, why have you treated your servant so badly? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give birth to them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a suckling child to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors. Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they come weeping to me and say, give us meat to eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone, for they are too heavy for me. If this is the way you are going to treat me, put me to death at once. 
if I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my misery. Now, this prayer, Moses' prayer here, is atypical of Moses' usual prayers. Typically, Moses intercedes for the people of God and mediates between God and the people. But instead here, Moses speaks directly to God about his own circumstances. He bears his soul. He is overwhelmed by the hunger and dissatisfaction of the people. In doing so, Moses describes himself as a mother and uses motherhood as the ultimate symbol of devotion. He cites a mother's enormous love and compassion, concern for all of her children's needs, and boundless dedication. And not only do we see the qualities of a caring parent here, in Moses' words, we also see the enormous burden of caregiving in a time of scarcity. God hears the complaining, and God hears Moses' misery. So God tells Moses to say this to the Israelites. You shall eat not only one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and have wailed before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? And then God provides quail in abundance. And then while they are still eating the quail, God strikes the people with a plague. We don't tell this version of the story to children because most young children would have a hard time understanding why a parent could be frustrated by their complaining. For the rest of us, it's disturbing to hear about God striking down his own people with a plague. And it's a detail many of us like to skip over. And lastly, this version could also be upsetting to those of us who did not grow up with parents who modeled unconditional love and patience. However, I think we need to hear both these stories, both these versions, because both versions reveal the dynamic and complex character of God, and it captures the dynamic and complex relationship between parent and child. All parents strive to be like Moses and like God in the Exodus version of this story. But just like God, they too have their limits, especially when dealing with hungry and traumatized children that cannot be satiated. In hearing both stories, we see the fuller image of God as a parent. And like a parent, God is faithful and attentive. But also because God cares so deeply and is so emotionally involved and invested in the lives of God's children, Tensions and quarrels arise, and God sometimes acts out of frustration rather than compassion. To be clear, I don't think any parent should curse their children with a plague in a moment of frustration. And moreover, scholars are undecided as to why God even needed to strike down the people with a plague in the first place. Maybe it's a need to display God's power, or perhaps it is an act of discipline or it is simply an expression of divine frustration. Regardless of why God punishes the people, the warning is still unheeded and the Israelites still complain. They complain bitterly. 
the entire 40 years they are in the desert. In both Exodus and in Numbers, the people of God are hungry. And nothing God does, whether it is providing for them from a place of compassionate patience or out of divine frustration, will satiate the people. Rachel Havelrock, a commentator on the Torah, asks, why are the people so hungry? Perhaps the trauma of slavery has left a residue of deprivation, or perhaps meals allow for some regularity during the journey through an unknown wilderness. The plot of the Torah implies that the people can find satisfaction only when they partake of the homeland's fruits. Hunger is indicative of exile, and Israel is not sated until it finds a home. Like the Israelites, we too are cranky, unhappy, and restless. Nothing we do will satiate us, and we are hungry because shelter in place is its own kind of exile. We hunger for meaningful rituals like funerals, baby showers, weddings, the sound of the bell telling us class is over for the day, for sports games, for vacations, and for being together to celebrate the Eucharist in community. We hunger for all these things, and it doesn't matter how good we've been able to adapt virtually. There is something missing, and there is a hunger in us that will not be satisfied until we make it out of exile, until we make it out of the wilderness. That is okay. If anything, the Exodus and Numbers stories tell us that it is all right to complain, and even all right to complain bitterly. Just don't be surprised when a loved one responds to our complaining with frustration. I will leave you all with this final thought. What if our virtual morning prayer was like manna in the wilderness? Maybe meeting like this on Sundays is a reminder of some form of regularity during this pandemic. For some of you, this morning prayer may be like the magical manna that is unearthed under morning dew in Exodus. And for others, virtual morning prayer is like the dry manna the Israelites complained about in Numbers. Either way, it doesn't compare to the bread and meat the Israelites longed for in Egypt, and it does not compare to the milk and honey in the Promised Land. When, the, when these dissatisfactions inevitably arise, and when we start to feel the rumblings of hunger pains, I invite us to pause and take note of them. Let those pains remind us that the bitterness and restlessness are symptoms of us longing for our true home. Amen.